0: What's going on, guys? Welcome inside Two Guys One Shaker Cup podcast. Josh Shaw got outdid this time by Marksman. I mean, Mark. Mark was telling us was not... Now the Two Guys One Shaker Cup podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw yeah, uh, and think, uh, Ryan Buckeye. Got a deal
1: with um, what's the guy Virgin? Uh, probably it's probably similar to around his Branson. area too.
2: I think. Yeah. Branson, <laughs> oh Branson. Richard, we, just, we all follow
0: him on, on LinkedIn, too. He's, he's great. Inspirational. Inspirational. Uh, so, Mark, you are, I guess, we, we can just say you're like living the American dream, right? You did what everybody wants to do. Um, you create a brand. By the way, your website is absolutely beautiful. I just need to say that before we dive into it. Like, scrolling through it before we get on the podcast is like, yep. I mean, I understand why your online conversion rates probably through the frickin' roof.
2: I got no comment.
0: <laughs> no, uh, the, uh, we just—it's funny.
2: I, I just got off the phone with somebody about that too. Direct to consumers, like something that we've really, like, muscled up over the last five months, and um, it's pretty cool to say that it's—it's it's working. Long road, at, you know, long road, as as most would know in that space. But uh, it's working. And as far as the site, what's cool is those are uh, some newer fixes. But we actually have a revamp revamp happening right now too. So I'd say the next sixty days will be a, a full a full update.
1: And for those that have no idea um, who Mark Samuel is, which is a travesty if they don't. Shame honestly, on you! I, think. I know. Shame on them if they don't. Uh, I'm going to give kind of Mark the floor to to give him a little bit of the bio. But there's going to be a few names, at least from uh, companies that you founded, that people in the even the bodybuilding space are going to recognize and maybe even still own one of those products.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark Samuel, uh, founder of I One organics, winning on nutrition We're a plant-based snack company. Uh, prior to this, I had founded Fitmark, which is a, a sport and bag, uh, manufacturing company. Uh, and prior to that, I had founded six pack fitness, which is most would have a six pack bag, uh, in the meal management space as we called it back then. Um, so yeah, been around, been around new, new Josh, um, from those days as well. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and still have a lot of like, that's what I, that's what I really like, um, and and enjoy. Like I still know a lot of the people from what I consider be more hyper focused on, on fitness. Um, you know, the trade shows of the Olympias and the, and the Arnold's like, I always thought those were, were so fun. And, um, and I got a lot of, uh, I still have a lot of friends that, that are, you know, in that space and the, the cores of the world. And uh, you know, Dan and, and Ryan from ghost and all those guys. So it's, it's fun. Uh, and it's nice being, um, our, the, the business now I One organics is, is a little broader, right? Uh, it's a better for you snack company. And, um, I would say health and wellness is definitely a, a, a big play for us. That's what I, our platform is, is health and wellness. Uh, but our consumers, um, are a little bit, uh, wider, uh, than then maybe one that would be buying a six-pack bag. So um, it, it's still all in the same
0: uh, same vein, but uh, but definitely enjoying it nonetheless. It's something interesting there. You went from – I'm not going to call it bag apparel, but you went from something that I think is probably easily replicable from, say, like a, an offshore Chinese company that anybody can kind of come into the space and do it, to a, a food snacking company, which is a little bit more difficult to replicate. But – with I-1, you kind of hit on some really big trends, and, and probably at the right time. Like, we know the Keger on plant-based is, like, skyrocketing through the roof. You can see what Beyond Meat did in terms of everything there. When I was at Mills, we kept looking at plant-based and pea proteins. like, what can we come out with? What can we come out with? Because convenient snacking was also on the rise. So you are doing snacking. You're doing plant-based. How did this idea come to fruition for you? Because you were obviously involved in the fitness world with the bags, and the meal management stuff. But now it's like, here's a real food item that is tackling these amazing hyper growth categories. And you find yourself in the middle of it.
2: Uh, it was actually like most should start to fill a void, right? I was looking for a protein snack on the savory side. Bars were really mm. trending like they are now, but, but even more so back in 15. Um, and nobody had put out a chip At that time and so it was Quest actually who really put me um, I would say on a fast track to get it done uh, because they had launched right about the time that I was putting the concepts together and I don't know if you remember they didn't get a lot of fanfare Mm -mm. Uh, and because of social media which is a great thing you can actually get that feedback without being in the building Um, and so that really just put me on a fast track and it's by chance that I that I decided um, and it was mainly because I started to eat a lot more plant foods that I wanted to it to be a plant-based protein. So I was looking at those sources and that's, I mean, that's how it started. I think with the flexitarian lifestyle, I know Ryan and I've talked
1: about it a few times and I think I've even dubbed it like the most transformative kind of CPG trend in the next like 10 to 25 years because of just how incrementally it's going to change the game in terms of so many of the products that are getting created. And you would probably be considered a flexitarian because you still eat meat and everything,
2: right, Mark? That's correct. Um, I, again, in going back to that origin, it was when I started to add a lot more plant foods in my diet. One, my primary being my shake in the morning. I like, like all of us, right? It, I was very used to the whey-based shakes, um, I've had a protein shake to start my morning. And by protein shake, I'm talking about throwing a scoop in, in water and shaking it mm-hmm. and drinking that. That's been my my start of the day for now coming on 20 years. And it was at about that time that I switched over to a plant protein. Um, more for just the, the idea of I wanted to have more balance in my life. I talk balance in all things, in all ways of life, but nutrition is one of them. So Again, that that's right. And, and so now I would say I probably eat closer to 65 percent plant foods um, than than dairy and or meat products. Uh, and I every teach their own. Right. I, I'm I'm OK with whatever works for a consumer or an individual, friends, family and the like. Um, you you got it. You've got to just do what's best for you, your body, how it reacts and the like. And I just know
0: that with balance, it's best for me. How did, what, what obstacles did you face in the beginning in terms of trying to change consumer behavior and perception, I think is one, maybe one of the big challenges that you faced is like people looked at vegan or, or plant-based and thought, mm, taste-wise, I'm sacrificing quite a bit for this. And you guys tackled the savory market. Like, were there obstacles that you had to overcome early on um, through your flavoring systems, whatever it might be, to change that consumer behavior slash perception?
2: Yeah, one of them was the, the main thing, which was get it right. I mean, our first iteration of the chip was just not good. Um, I, I, would, I would almost say it, it was decent. Um, and one of the rules that I've been I've taught the hard way is you want to be in food and beverage, taste and textures first. 100%. Um, all of the things that you're doing, the foundation, the mission, you know, your ingredient choices and the like, that all has to be part of it. But if you want to grow for growth, right? then you have to have something that people are going to come back to. So our first iteration was not good. And, and so uh, painstakingly, we've had to go through that. And then we got into different iterations and then got to where we are uh, now with moving into an extruded product in 18, going into products that from the get-go, I said, these are going to really be the foundation for our brand. And most importantly, it's going to be the playbook. We don't want to put out anything that we don't firmly believe we not only enjoy, me personally, but that others, right, and our consumers, those that we are, you know, trying to focus on, are going to enjoy as well.
0: Just real quick on that before you hop in, Josh, because I know Quest didn't get a lot of fanfare back when they launched, and you guys are coming out with products that you said were decent. How did that conversation go to say, these are good enough for now? Because you wanted to get in the market. You obviously wanted that sort of first mover advantage. Maybe the taste wasn't where you would ideally want it, but... Did you struggle with the decision to launch that knowing that you probably could do better?
2: No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question though. And, and one that now I could offer up as advice to anybody, because especially, you know, those that are like me, right? We, I, am not all about perfection. I mean, we, this is often talked about as a subject matter, right? I'm about delivering, Mm -hmm. like, especially you talk about content, this whole topic and theme that people talk about, just get it out, get it out. That cannot be the case when it talks, when you're talking about a physical product, Um, whether you're talking about a a snack food or a beverage um, or going back to to an apparel line or, you know, or a bag, like take your time, get it right, uh, get to near perfection. There really is no such thing as perfection, but get to near perfection where you firmly believe that it's going to be a play and one that's going to have success without any doubts in your mind. I want to circle back around the balance piece, and I know
1: in terms of the way that you live your life and and people have been kind of chirping in your ear, I know around maybe going down certain like nutrition protocols or changing your i one brand into like keto or paleo or or this or that i mean what how do you kind of respond to that? I know everybody's like they mean well, and obviously they're trying to help navigate you or, or try to you know give you some advice even if then you're not asking for it, but you know, how do you stay true to that brand of, of balance where that's kind of in a lot of cases out of style right now, unfortunately it is, you know what I mean? Where I think all of us live a pretty balanced lifestyle. We know that's the most sustainable long-term thing you could do because you have the best chance of sticking with it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the most popular thing right now.
2: Yeah. Uh, two, two of my most recent posts, one this morning, I just did a video on was about advice about generically like take you can listen to advice all advice you know it's your mom your mama's coming at you you got your best friend you got unsolicited public advice about how you should do this that and the other always listen you don't need to you don't need to act on anything you don't need to act on any of it if you don't want to but always always keep your ears open because um it doesn't really matter who it's coming from whether or not they have experience with it or the or the like Most importantly, if you're positive and you believe that everybody has good in them, they're just offering you advice, right? So that's item one. Two is on on a post that I did about the idea of keto or low carb, those coming to me saying you should put out a product, not just, these these are actual buyers. These are people saying, we like your brand. We may even like your product, but is there something coming down the pipe? my answer is emphatically, no. The reason it's easy for me to say that is I don't believe in it. I'm not an advocate of low to no carb dieting, period. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay to say that. People are like, oh, that's kind of polarizing. No, it's not. I'm okay to say that. Uh, because Number one is because people know I'm saying it with love. Number two is, There are there's always the the obvious, which is there are some instances if it's prescribed by a doctor, (laughs) right, that somebody may need a low to no carb or lower carb option as far as their own medical needs. I get it. I respect it. And again, you should adhere to that advice. But overall, I'm a firm believer in balanced nutrition understanding fundamentally proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, what they do for you and eating those a majority of the time. I think that speaks to like this kind of bigger commentary around
1: like, you know, maybe it's on trend, but it's not on brand. And and being that this is your company, that's not on brand. So you don't want to serve the wrong master. Like, yeah, the buyer's telling you that because there is a need in the market, but that doesn't mean that you need to fill that need. There's somebody else in this e- ecosystem of CPG that probably would be better at fitting that need and actually being able to go deep and, and really provide the customer what exactly they want over you just trying to kind of gloss over something and offer it up because you want to get a little bit extra of some uh, you know sales numbers by the end of the year.
2: I'm sure that we could even raise easier, right? If I had brought a keto product, it, you know, it, the opportunity is out there. It's not like I couldn't find a co-packer or or food scientists to put a product together that you know and slap our label on it but that like you had mentioned is is not me and i'm very fair and honest to the fact that this brand is me you know and, and the idea and the concepts and where we're going to develop this thing into over time of which i have no limitation on right sometimes it scares people i'll, I'll do this forever because uh, you know because i not only am enjoying myself for really at peak moments, like this is the, the, the most fun I've had in my 20 year career. I can see the platform that we're building this health and wellness platform that we're building and where it can go and how exciting each iteration year over year could be because of the development on it. But the foundation and the core piece to it is balanced nutrition. Mm-hmm. And it's what I'm going to talk about the entire time. And if I did something that was counter that, it would, it would create something that's not honest, and that's not what we're all about.
0: In your prior life, before I1, how much experience did you have selling in to Food Drug Masks? Because, I mean, obviously with I1, you're in Kroger, you're in Sprouts, you're in Whole Foods. Dealing with those buyers sometimes can be interesting. Um, so for you, you, what was your experience prior to selling in your own brand?
2: Yeah, None. Um, and, and that's a, it's a great topic, though, because sometimes I get you can imagine like my messages on LinkedIn. I get a lot of people that come at me and I'm totally cool with it. Like I try to respond as much as possible. You know, those that are starting out, those are maybe even even kind of growing. Um, the A core question often is, who's your first hire? I firmly believe you need somebody with sales experience in food and beverage if you want to be doing things the right way when it comes to retail partnerships. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unlike anything else. It's unlike things I have done in the past with service, you know, service businesses, and even, uh, you know, going into uh, apparel and the like. Uh, it's, a different, it's a different animal, and you definitely need to have somebody on your team who understands all of the, the different obstacles that are gonna come your way. And also help you because there's choices that you need to make along the way that are very, very important. Um, and that can save your business so it's it 's worth the uh, investment. We had talked a little
1: bit yesterday, Mark, around the kind acquisition, oh, and I know you really respect that company and and Daniel over there that built that company and and wondered if there's any specific kind of like inspiration that you 've taken from that company that you apply to your business
2: the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing and i i mean it's funny this will go out whoever sees this and the like you know i've always said i'd love daniel as a partner you know i mean everybody probably came running and they're like oh my god you must have, he had you know again I, I hope he doesn't mind anybody he had money before all this it's not like you know he he oh he got he had, he he was he was successful before this transaction right and if people followed the story they would not only know that but they know to the core of your question what the brand not only has been built on, but what it stands for. And I take everything from that. Mm-hmm. I have said it and I would say it again. He is hands down my favorite founder to follow. And if there are, was a playbook, I would want to know exactly what that playbook was from Daniel. And again, uh, you know, actually, I, I, I don't mind saying it. I reached out to him yesterday to congratulate him. And luckily, I got luckily, I got a little an email back. Right. Um, I want to be in the in the likes of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he has done something that very few have and very few ever will. And it's just being fair to what we talk about often about these headlines. Right. What which of these headlines are actually really successful ones? That one was a successful one, mm-hmm. um, and and by leaps and bounds. But you know, again, fair to food and beverage, and 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 what happens as far as capital raising and there's acquisitions. In turn, most don't know the intricacies of what actually transpired on a deal to understand whether or not it was actually successful or not. Um, and, and, again, speaking of, of kind, it's just an amazing story, amazing founder, amazing team, and an amazing brand uh, built on a mission that, that is real. So try to duplicate that. Um, you, would need to, you would need to have it within you. It needs to be in your being.
0: Yeah, on that point when I was at General Mills too, we constantly talked about kind. I mean, Kind was my biggest competitor on the on the, I mean, I was on the organic side, and they weren't, but we look at that brand and say like this is a champion brand. You know, they have they're, they're checking every box, like literally every box. Um their D2C model, their the retail, everything was right. And uh, you know, well deserved yesterday for sure. When I saw that headline too, I was like, oh, psh, woo. "Good good for everybody involved in in that for sure."
2: Totally. Yeah. Um, and, and the bigger brands um, I, I've talked about this too, since you're on the topic, like the general mills, right. Or Frito Lays and the like um, I've said stuff and I know that it's kind of caught people by, by almost in, sh- in shock where uh, can he say that? Is that, is that, is that right? I I'm, I'm a fan of these big companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not like fighting Frito lay, you know, there's just like, I, I would love to be with Frito-Lay because it's not going to change who we are, you know, unless there's a change and, you know, let's, again, we're just talking generically, right? Right. They have a platform. General Mills has a platform for brands like ours, Mm -hmm. right? They have capital. Yes, they do. They have resources that are unmatched, right? Right. And they have the ability to get things on shelf or placed in a way that's strategic and, and going to be impactful for you. So, so long you have a brand that you believe in and a mission that you believe in, those are partners Mm -hmm. that you should be looking at. Not, they're not, you know, they're not competitors. Um, That's so I'm just talking wholly as far as like, General Mills and the like. That's just my take on it.
0: Yeah, I'll touch on that too. Just, I mean, for those listening, and Mark's absolutely right, there was an arm of General Mills called 301 Inc. And their sole purpose was to invest in upstart brands like Purely Elizabeth and things that were on the cutting edge. Uh, I want organics, right? And we invested in a a brand called Epic Provisions, which is a meat bar. It was the first meat bar really to be on the market. And um, they didn't change anything. They let the staff stay in Austin. They kept the founders on and they are growing massively and did, did very well. So I think when people look at some of these big brands as maybe the enemy, it, it, to Mark's point, like they can be really good partners, and um, there's an opportunity there, and I'd love to see you get that opportunity uh, someday with I1 and, and see where that can go, too, because I think you have a product that is very special and unique, even in today's market, when people have had years to catch up to you and do things. like it's, it's, I still revert to your brand and what you're doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the, the reality is those brands and other brands, anybody could, they, they can go and do what you do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we make extruded snacks, right? Right? They're made from peas and beans. Tomorrow, right, somebody could go do what we do. What they can't do, General Mills could never, ever do, is put out what I'm putting out, right? The The clear-cut... Affirmative message of I want organics, what winning on nutrition is about to its core. They could never duplicate that. And so, so long myself and the many, many, many others who are starting food and beverage companies understand that fundamentally and are real. They have to be very honest with themselves, right? They have to have a a come to Jesus moment. So long they fundamentally understand that and they're real about it, go, go compete. You know, I always say, go compete, go make it happen.
1: That's been a shift, I think, with the M&A where the brands, I think on both sides, have finally realized that the product is not what wins. The product is not what ultimately is going to be that, that thing. It's actually what's built off of that, the special sauce. Sometimes that's the entrepreneur, that's the culture or whatever. And a lot of times if you try to... Fold that into the bigger company you strip all of that away and there's cases where that works if it's late cycle brand or something you're just trying to get synergies and, and just trying to get you know every little extra dollar out of it that's okay but in a lot of cases when a smaller brand an emerging brand you want to keep that specialness there so you try to isolate that give them the resources they need to perform better and be better at what they are but don't strip away any of the that specialness that's in there, and I think that's something that over the last several years, a lot of these brands have done a good job at carving that out in these deals and saying we want to be independent. And kind's an example of that. But I think like uh, one that you could think about from a very long time ago is like Ben and Jerry over with like Unilever, where they were like, we want to, uh, you know, still act the way that we act because that's what makes us special. You can't just fold us into this major company, even though I think Unilever is pretty good in terms of some of their ESG stuff and and everything. But I think there's still always going to be some of those decision trees that come up where you're going to erode at what's special about you because you can't win in those arguments when they have more money or or they have your kind of face to
2: the fire. It's really well said. Um, And I'm going to bring them up, you know, because and you know them, but it, it came to mind and also because I kind of, when I look at Josh, I think about them you, ghost, right? And I, cause I think you guys talk about them a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not even a, I don't, I don't have any here. He, he knows me. He owes me some, by the way, when, when I give this shot out right now, I expect something to come. You can't duplicate that. You, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You cannot duplicate the passion and commitment and awareness of the brand than what Dan and the team are doing. Period. Again, I use them. I could have used a hundred other references, and maybe not a hundred, but I'm using them because I, I see you guys have talked about them and stuff. It's just a great example, though, of identifying and understanding what your brand is about, and having the fortitude, having the ability and the passionate commitment to execute on that every single day. And so, um, you know, that's to, 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 to what you say.
0: I, yeah, I mean, we, we do talk about ghosts a lot and I think that's exactly why it's Josh and I both love these brands who, you know, take their own personalities of their ownership group too. I mean, you, you know, Dan and Ryan, well enough to you. That that brand is them to a T, and 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 same can be said with a lot of brands who are successful. Whether it be Epic that we just talked about, or, or your brand, I Want Organics. I think those are the brands who end up being successful when they're true to themselves and they're able to connect with the consumer on a deeper level than just a transaction. And um, you know that for a lot of brands, I feel like it's a struggle whether they don't do their homework or or whatever it is. Um, but small emerging brands like yourselves being acquired or being invested in the bigger companies to Josh's point, like they need to allow them to still go on their own for a while. I mean, for, for a long time. So for you and I like it's, you're still in this, you know, some might say you're still building, you're building, building, building year after year, the growth rates in, in the categories are still on the rise. Like, and I love to ask this question, like, where do you see yourself with the brand in the next three years?
2: I'm looking at our 20, I put 2021, I have like seven bullet points, like right in front of me, right. For next year. And, um, and so if I go out a couple more years, we would be in three places of the grocery store in 2023. Um, We potentially could be in four, but just being really sort of modest and, and, and hyper-focused on, the details as far as the growth in 21 and then in 22 and then going into 23, we should be in a few areas of the grocery store. Um, it's important to, to know, right. Our core consumer is a, a female, right. Is a woman between 35 and, and 60. And, um, and some will be like, well, wait, that's, that's interesting. Right. Like it, and it, 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 but I knew that from day one, I knew that that was going to be our core consumer and I needed to make sure at least the brand and 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 how we were developing it was going to be um, was going to be something that represented that. It doesn't matter that it, it it's me speaking because the main thing is I'm speaking a lot as a parent. Mm-hmm. And so it was the aha to a lot of conversations later like ah I get it now, right? Um, and so, with that said, being able to understand what 2023 looks like, knowing that is a key piece to this, key piece to the development, key piece to our growth and our objectives over these next couple years, and a key piece in our decision on where we are in those three places. One, we already know now being in Salty Snacks, but really, where's two and three, and why did we choose that? Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a. I was saying I want to say
1: interesting, but I think it's an approach that um, has like failed a lot with like trying to get into different areas. Um, like that that platform move, like away from just going deep into one kind of section of that you know snack, salty snack, savory snack area, and then moving into multiple sections of the supermarket and being able to actually you know, have the brand power where people will realize it's the same company and and it's the same platform and it's the same reason. I mean, I think that, you know, as an example, we used Quest earlier, you know, they've been extremely kind of diligent towards trying to do that. It's taken them quite a bit of years to actually become that and actually have the respect, I think, in some of those other categories, you know, where it was, everybody just thought of them as bars. And then you know, then they started to do some of those other ones and they kind of swung and missed, but then they iterated, iterated, iterated. And it's like three or four years later. Now they're finally getting a lot of respect in those different categories. But I think it's where a lot of this has to go. I think that the grocer, grocers as a whole are going to try to simplify their supply chains and think about partners deeper and think about how do they fit more needs? Can we present these as more like platforms over just like, the best in class of every single thing and have 30 offerings in that you know, little one and, and just confuse the heck out of customers. I think you're going to try to simplify things. I think COVID really proved that, that people go to the things they like and they're going to go to those things consistently and you don't need to have 35 variants of every single thing. So for them to kind of simplify their business towards, you know, kind of keystone suppliers and think about the, the products are going to be good. I think it's a, it's the right move to go towards that, but you know, I, it is, it's kind of risky.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's very, and I agree with everything you just said. That's why number one is we have a couple of innovations that are still in Salty Snack. So when I say going to two, two or three different places right in the store, it's very possible that it could just be a subset of, a, of an existing set. And I'm number one. Two is um, there are, people don't know this, but there are brands, speaking of kind, that put out products that don't work. I just had talked about this with somebody. If you remember, they put out a fruit bar Mm -hmm. yeah, and it was just the, it was was similar to the one that was put out by uh, uh, just it or, you know, just one or something like that. It was just an all, you know, it's a one ingredient type of product. It didn't work. And you're talking about a brand that where you, that's when you would make the moves where somebody's walking down another aisle and they say, I know them, then they need to say the second thing, which is I trust them. Then they need to say the third thing and do the third, let me try that, right? Uh, And then the fourth is your hope that they, it's so good they come back for more and maybe have navigated away from what they're eating before. So what's nice is if if you have this sort of plan as far as a schedule for the next few years, you need to make sure you are doing something along the way that's gonna cross check that item because it's very possible by the time you get to 2023, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. You are not ready to, I'm using this for fun. You're not ready to make an organic protein powder with, with I1 Organics on it. You're not ready. Why? Because nobody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very, I talk openly about it. Nobody knows who we are. We are this little, 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 little company, little brand. And we will be next year too, and it's very possible we will be in 2022. P- people don't understand about market penetration and like your percentage, right? Uh, of const- okay, so anyway, so so it's v- you you nail it, dude, and that's because of your expertise. Uh, you need to be very very um, careful with those decisions as far as product innovation in a different set that you're not currently in or making the headways at.
0: Yeah, and to Mark, what he's, he's kind of talking about is we, we refer to it as the first and second moment of truth. Um, you know, the first moment of truth being like, that's a brand I recognize, like in the term of kind layer bars is what I think what you're referring to. I recognize that brand, I trust that brand, but where it failed ultimately was that second moment of truth when they got home and the consumer tried it and realized it's not something they potentially wanted to purchase again. So to be successful in either your initial category or you're trying to go to a different subset, you got to nail both of those. And the first, you have to, that first moment of truth is developing a brand figuring out you know, making sure people understand who you are to, to put trust in you to try the product. And then hopefully you, you nail the second one too. Um, I want to totally change paths here on, on topics because we're we, 2020 has been such a weird year with everything COVID politics, et cetera. Josh and I had had this conversation multiple times on the podcast and you, as a business owner and as a, a leader behind an authentic brand, it's a brand that you firmly believe in, and, and obviously you put out content on, on different channels, be it LinkedIn, YouTube, et cetera. Do you think brand owners should take a position on political topics or a topic like the Black Lives Matter movement? Because I find it, because Josh and I could talk all day about it, uh, and we know owners who have, and we know owners who haven't. But your personal opinion on whether or not you should take a stance if you want to be a truly, fully authentic brand?
2: My answer is solely, um, solely my own personal decision that I don't, but it's based on the fact that I don't get political anyway. Right. Um, I do not like divisiveness. It's, it's, I it's literally the one thing that I truly can say, I and I don't like using the word hate or in the like. I just don't like divisiveness. Mm-hmm. So whether you're on this side or this side, the way that you're approaching things is really gonna um is really gonna uh um weigh in on how I react to it. Not just the thing you say, but how I react to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so and I'm open about that too. I'm all for good rhetoric. If you want to have a conversation and you're respectful of one another and you can listen, I'm all for it. And I probably like personally have my own decisions, you know, my own, my own thought process about certain things, whether it's political or, or, you know, or these movements. Sure. We all probably do. Right. But, as far as taking that, if, if I weren't that way and as far as taking it and putting out, let's say, content on it or just making remarks um, and making commentary on it, I think it's an independent choice. It's also very important that it does, again, goes back to your own core beliefs and the way you built the brand and its foundation. One, another actually nutrition, I won't, I'm not gonna say name on this one, but like a, a nutrition company that I follow, he's pretty out there with his own political views, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. His, whole, his, his demographic, the core consumer of the brand, my guess, believes the same things that he does. I will also say, he's also not disrespectful about his approach. And I respect the heck out of it. He's out there. He says things. He might go to different, you know, events and the like. I think it's all good, um, and I, I believe that it actually probably helps his brand. Um, it's when you go too far and you start uh, polarizing, um, you know, yourself or people that you may have an effect that you weren't. Um, that you weren't really prepared for or ready for uh, that, that you would be, you know, you need to consider the way that you're communicating.
1: I'm of the belief that if we're talking these kind of new internet kind of emerging brands and that you're in front of the brand and you're building an authentic brand, odds are, if you say something and it should match up with your customers, because you're just being authentic constantly, that that should align with who is, just organically kind of following you over time. So if you're not a person that speaks up about those things, most of the time people would realize that if you are, and you speak towards one side of the the coin or the other odds are your customer base is pretty aligned with that. What ends up happening though, is that a lot of these like legacy brands or brands that didn't have much of an identity or, you know, the ownership, you didn't really know what they were about. They start to get into the conversation because they feel like they have to because they feel like, Hey, this is what we have to, if not, we're going to get you know kind of blasted all over the place, and what they do is they make a decision that is actually against their customers, and it just ruins them. I think if you know they they paid attention to somebody like Nike, they would know like why Nike stands a certain way because Nike knows who they've been since the start. Plus, they know their customer extremely well, and they know what side of the coin they should be on in these in these conversations. It's not always that you know these things are that like. Uh, Kind of insane to think people taking a chance or not because it's true to themselves. But I think the problem comes is that if you are kind of faking it or you're trying to just be about the money or just trying to be about, um, you know, entrepreneurship is cool and I want to do this and you don't really care, you end up probably making the wrong decision because you're going to only try to pander towards where you think it should be. And that's not going to match up with what the consumer or your customer is at. And you end up getting in a bunch of trouble. You're seeing that in 2020. Like, Brands are just getting crushed left and right because they feel like they are forced to make a, a call and then they end up actually making the wrong call because they have no idea who their customer is or who they are as a person in the eyes of, of the public.
2: Yeah, that's great. It's a great comment and, and you nailed it. When you're a Nike or the Under Armour, right, you, um, you, you, you already have, like you mentioned, you have your customer base, you, you, you know who they are. You, you have so many people in that boardroom prior to, you know, a, a Kaepernick video going out that's been like, we're good. With with the side of it, you know, a bunch of smart smart people sitting there going, by the way, we're going to get, you know, trampled on by, by you know, a, 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 some people, right? The same people are saying, but it's all good. It's okay, because watch what this thing does. It's when it flies through socially, right? As far as just Brand sort of you know br- you know brand commentary, right that's all a good thing everybody, everybody knows that, so um I- I'm with you, and then, as far as the smaller uh, emerging brands that that um have a founder who may be not where I sit, again, I kind of feel I- I'm lucky and blessed that I have my own thoughts on all of this, which is I stay in the middle because. I just don't, again, don't like divisiveness. It makes it so much easier for me. But I know a lot of these people who aren't, and that must be a really difficult decision. And then, like you said, sometimes they make a a, a call that either wasn't thought through or they just, you know, they didn't listen to maybe a counterpart of the like, and it kind of hurts them at the end. So it, it's a it's definitely a tough subject, but it, and it's one that's not going to go away. It's not like, not like, not like none of this is going away, right? This is going to be every year or something um, that people are going to have to make that decision that you're, you're talking about.
0: In terms of your, I guess, quest on entrepreneurship, um, you've obviously, the content you put out is consumed by probably a lot of young entrepreneurs, myself included. Um, what's, what do you wish you could tell your younger self as you got into being in business for yourself? I mean, because I'm sure you've had a lot of sleepless nights, countless hours, time away from the family, things of that nature. But the younger Mark Samuel, what advice did he need that you know now?
2: That guy would not have been listening, dude. (laughs) That guy was ruthless, (laughs) dude. Ruthless. Um, I was moving so fast in my 20s. I mean, and I had, I was very lucky. I mean, the first couple things that I had done in my early 20s, I, you know, monetarily, like we, we did well and I was with friends and like it was so fun. I I would just say, I would say that I really wouldn't tell myself anything because the journey, I mean, as cliche as this is, it is just reality and all my stuff comes off the cuff, which I like. This journey, this 20 year journey got me to where I am right now. And it got me to a place that provides so much optimism meaning i literally know for a fact so long god gives me the time in the runway that 10 years from now i'm going to be even that much better so what i mean was in my early 20s you know i was I, i had some some stuff happening but i was nowhere near where i'm at right now as far as just understanding having patience Maturity, knowledge. If I didn't have that runway, right? If I didn't, if I didn't have all that time behind me, I wouldn't be sitting here right now, and even having this conversation where it just is is, is so it's so easy, mm-hmm. right? It's so easy, um, and so it would just be saying, "Be patient, dude. Be patient." And, and it's okay. You're going to stumble so many times. You're going to get punched in the face so many times. Be patient. And I tell myself that now to what, uh, again, if we will have this interview again in 10 more years and say the same <laughs> thing, I'll go, I'll tell you, right? That, so that, that's how I, that's my approach on that one. Since we're on the topic
1: of kind of entrepreneurship mindset, um, kind of two-part question. One is, is this something that people can learn or is it kind of in them all the time? And then you made a recent post around fear, which I I love because I think for me, that's always been this kind of thing that has driven me a lot. I've used it as like the counter to a lot of like the positivity that I think about things. I I always try to use that fear because I feel like when you start to get comfortable, that's where it's terrible. You're complacent. You're just not always going to be kind of like reaching for more or trying to, um, come up with creative solutions or whatever. And I think that 2020 has really probably brought out that more than not people either had that or they didn't. And the people that had the ability to understand how to use fear the right way, they have progressed immensely in this year, probably years and years faster than they could have. And then on the other side, it's like, they just were like trembling and couldn't do anything about it. And, and that's not to say that those people are, are bad people, but it, it really, this year, I think really proved that there is a stark
2: difference in entrepreneurs that either you have it or you don't. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and it will, it, it will always be a question, right? That, that people have, or they ask, or they come to you and, hey, do you think I have, you know, have what it takes? Or, I believe that you are cut, a certain way, and I believe some are just better to work, I would say, for or with others, uh, and 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 not be leading the ship, as they would say. Uh, and then there are some who are born to do their own thing. There is there is an ability to turn off certain things in your mind, in your body, right physically, emotionally, that most people just do not have. And, and I'll premise it by saying I'm talking for the majority of us who maybe don't have an endless checkbook because I like to sort of always separate that because I talk in, 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 in transparency. If you're rich or you come from from, from an opportunity that provides you a checkbook, one that could be endless, but is big enough where if you failed, it doesn't matter. I think I, we need to separate that. We do because it's a, it, it provides you a different um, uh, uh, fallback than the majority. So now let's talk about the majority. I believe you have to be cut in a certain way that allows you to, again, I said it, turn things off. When you're scared, when you're going to bed and you're fearful, when there's an um, immense amount of anxiety that hangs over you, when you not only go to sleep like that, but you wake up to it, that is some hard stuff. And there's that few, that small percentage that can deal with that and turn it into what I talked about this, the post, turn it into energy, fuel, eagerness, confidence. You, you, have, you have something that most don't have. And so um, those are the ones that, that should, should take it upon themselves. Again, you kind of don't know until you do it but to just go, try it, fail. And then the ones on the back of that, that failed and will do it again and figure out how to, right? How do I, how can I try this one more time? Those are the ones that are really dangerous, mm. right? Those are the ones that are really dangerous. And then you go a step further. I mean, I t- you know how many times I've failed? Oh my God, dude, it's amazing. The ones that continue to but are, but still have the passion and commitment and and ability to get through that fear. Those are the ones that somehow make it. Um, and so that does, it separates from the rest who I believe are a lot more comfortable and okay with working for others. And I love those people, the exact same Yeah, self-awareness.
0: I think that's great. I, I didn't see your post and with you, um, elaborating on that, I'm thinking about, like, last night I went to bed with with stress cloud over my head. I woke up this morning the same exact way, but to your point, using that as fuel and trying to accomplish more that next day, and I look at my daughter, and it's like, this is why I do it. You know, I do it for her. I do it for my fiance, and I know you as well. Like, how has family changed you in terms of the way you approach? Because I know in your 20s, you were running running free. You were with your friends. We all have done it. It's been great. It's fun. Um, but You know, another thing is like family changes you. It really does. And it changes you not only from a a personal standpoint, but for how you sometimes approach your business. So for you, talk about family and talk about how that changed the way you did business.
2: Uh, Most don't know this, but I'm a single dad Mm -hmm. and I'll go a step further. Most don't know this too. The kids are, uh, the kids are with me. It doesn't matter why or the other, but so imagine that and doing what I do Mm -hmm. You're a bad, you're a bad mofo, man. You, you are cut, you are cut. In a, this isn't a, this isn't a, this thing. It's just understanding and being, and being aware. Mm-hmm. And again, you, it goes back to that point of that 20 years ago. It, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do it. I have 20 years of, of all this experience. And what I'd say is as far as family, and you know, this, when you have a kid and if you are cut a certain way, and you have a most would call it like a motherly instinct, but I call it a fatherly instinct. You um you experience something unlike anything else. My kids come first mm-hmm. before anything. And um, because I I can say that affirmly, like it puts everything else into perspective. And if anything, it allows me to be better at all the other things I do. Because the one thing that you then take and learn and experience that you may not have had before is patience. And if you take the patience that you learn from being a parent and apply them to work, I'm gonna use it since that's what we're talking about, to your business, you are light speeds ahead of, of a majority of others especially again, if you apply them, Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that prior to having kids. My patience was very thin and I would move and, you know, do a, but, but once you, once you have that and you apply it, speaking of what does family mean, you become so much better at all the other things that you're doing. Uh, And so that, that's, that's my take on that one.
0: Josh, just think of it this way. When you have your first child, you're going to be able to charge 3x an hour than what you're doing now because <laughs> you're going to be better. And you're already super you know, affordable, but it'll be, it'll be great for your business. I was, when
1: you guys were talking about that, I was thinking, man, I feel a little bit left out since I don't have one. <laughs> but damn, you guys better watch out when I get one because, yeah, shit, out. I'm going to be out of control. It's like people are going to be like, wow, I thought he was sharp now. It's like you're going be able to, I'll cut it through anything with my razor sharpness then.
2: I look forward to you having a, a kid, Josh. I say this to, 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 to guys, right, to men. It is, um, it's unlike anything you'll ever experience. It's the most important thing by far. Mm-hmm. Your business is like, not even in the realm of importance. And that's a good thing because it provides perspective. Now I will, I'm going to throw the caveat though, that most of them don't. But parenting is not easy, man. <laughs> it is not easy. And I'll be, I don't care. And it sucks sometimes. It, 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 it is the, I, I do the 90, 10 rule. 90% of the time you're like, what the, oh, this is just, but it's the 10% that puts you, at, at an all time high that is inexplainable and unlike anything else. So it, it squashes the other ninety. But it's not easy, man. So to each own. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I feel like that's why I, I enjoy our friendship because I feel
1: like there's there's always that ninety percent of like positivity and then there's a ten percent of like <laughs> just real transparency that like, you know, will just let you check yourself a little bit like, okay, I was really getting excited there. Then all of a sudden you're like, all right, but then this dude yeah, I like
0: it. I'll, <laughs> I'll always give it. I love it. Well, let's wrap things up here. Mark, I know you got a, a, probably another full day ahead of you, and I think we probably should do this again because I think there's a lot more we could talk about. But I, I'd love to end on that note because it is a, a positive note about family and about how it drives you as a person. And, uh, you know, if, if Josh, nine months from now, we get a little shawl running around, we know that Mark's conversation inspired you. <laughs> and I hope you name him or her Mark or something that sounds familiar to it if it's a female. <laughs> Um, But uh, if you guys like the podcast, hit the subscribe button. Help us out by writing us a review on all the podcast platforms, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, and more. Um, Mark, my man, appreciate you, buddy. You too, guys. I appreciate both of you. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.